Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. We're nearing the end here. Don't lose heart, don't lose heart. We'll go ahead and pray to begin with. Heavenly Father, we, we are your creation and we are created to come and behold your glory, God. And while we are bound up in this flesh, we cannot do it in and of ourselves, God. We need your spirit and your grace to be poured out upon us. And you have done this day after day, week after week, through the centuries and through the millennia, through your spirit and through your word. So God, as your humble children, we come to you now. And we ask that you would reveal yourself through your word. That we would see the riches we have in you. God, let us see all that we have in you. Amen. Amen. Cannons, yes, cannons, they make everything better. They're big, they're beautiful, they're made out of steel, they blow up bridges, they blow up buildings, they blow up factories and industrial sites. They make everything better. And actually, they're so amazing that they even make classical music better. (laughs) Tchaikovsky knew of this when he was writing his 1812 overture. He was commissioned in 1880 to write the 1812 overture, which was a celebrating of the defeat of Napoleonic forces coming into Russia in 1812. Now, at that point in time, Napoleon had all of Europe. He had it all. You look back 200 years now, we look back and go, why Russia? You had all of Europe under your grasp. Why wasn't it enough? But no, you, you want more, you want more, you want more. And so he sees this wasteland, basically, of Russia. And he goes, no, I must have that as well. And he goes, and he's resoundly defeated in Moscow. And he makes his uh, horrible horrible, wretched retreat out of, out of Russia. And his, by then his army is so decimated that it's within two years, I think it's, he has the battle of Waterloo and he loses it all. And we look back at him and we think, again, you, you have all of Europe. Why isn't that enough? But if you're struggling with contentment, that's you but to an even a greater degree, because it's not just some lousy continent of Europe. No, we have the God, the God of all creation. And for some reason, it's not enough. So our, what we're going to be driving at here is we, when we look at the text in these verses here, what we're going to be driving at is I want you to see that contentment is not being happy with little. That's not what contentment is. That's not what Paul is driving at in the text. Contentment is not being happy with little, but actually rejoicing that you have everything. And that you have everything through Christ. So we're going to be looking here in verses 10 and 11. We're going to be looking at uh, learning contentment. How does Paul learn contentment? And then where does this apply? Well, you look in verse 12. Where does it apply? Well, it applies in every circumstance, does it not? Whether you have much or whether you have little. 
You're, this contentment that you learn will apply in every circumstance. And then finally we see, how is this accomplished? Well, it's accomplished in verse 13. That's the key to it all. We see that he's able to learn contentment in every circumstance through him who strengthens me. So, let's go back to the text here in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. There is Paul again rejoicing, and he's rejoicing in the Lord. And if you guys remember the the context of what's going on here... The church in Philippi has sent Epaphroditus with with this offering to Paul who's in prison. And he's writing then this letter and thanking them for their generosity that they have shown to him. And it's been about 10 years or so since he's planted the church. And they they have this love for him. But he's saying, but I I know you, you had no opportunity to show this great love. And he's thanking them. But then he kind of almost seemingly catches himself. You see, the, the, the transition here from 10 to 11 is quite abrupt. And he almost catches himself and he's like, thanks for the gift, guys. It was really gentle. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Not that I'm actually in need. I'm not that guy who goes around and, and tells everybody everything that they need. I, I'm, I'm not that guy. So I, I'm, let's make this clear here. But actually, I've learned in whatever situation I might be in to be content. And this just shatters everything and our, our perception of actually contentment and how we relate to the things of this world. And when we think about contentment, we think that we're just supposed to be happy with the pittance that you have. This little bit that you have, well then, it's good enough. Just be happy with it. You know, especially growing up in a relatively poor, poor family in a Lutheran church with Pastor Don Fastenau, who's now beholding the, the glory of God in heaven. Uh, God bless him. Uh, you, you learn that you deserve hell. Quite frankly, that's like the other churches, you know, other children, you know, be, uh, might be raised in songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But no, not Pastor Fastenau. We're singing songs about how we're wretched sinners and we're worms who deserve hell. And so then you, you, you couple that in together and then you begin thinking, well, I, well, I should be happy. I should be content with what I have. I might not be happy, okay, but I should at least be content with what I have because I do deserve hell at this very moment. So the fact that I'm not in hell and I might have, uh, you know, a dysfunctional family and in, in relative poverty and we have bread and water, we'll just be happy with it. And that's our idea of contentment. And that's like some some spiritual, uh, um, uh, you know, mountain that you're going to climb. And once you reach that summit and you're happy with bread and water, and then you're content. And you can check it off your list. And so then we try to be happy with little. And we try to be happy with little. And we know that it could just be, it could be far worse. And so we're just kind of hedging our bets a little bit. And like, well, I'll be happy with this because I know I deserve hell. But if I hold on to my happiness now and my contentment now, I might not actually get more. So I'm just, okay, I'm going to be content. Even though I, I don't have a lot, I'm, I'm going to be content. 
But here we see that Paul is saying that we must learn our contentment. And our natural inclination again is to look within. But Paul is calling us and bringing us to look to God. To look to God and to trust Him. For our, our contentment doesn't arise from anything that we have externally. But it arises from the belief that God is right in all of His judgments. This is why we are lacking contentment in our hearts. We're on to the next thing and on to the next thing and on to the next thing. And we're, we're impatient and we're restless. But there's no evil. There's no evil, no situation that can be remedied through discontentment. Augustine, he puts it this way. In his confessions, he said, Yet despise our lowness, human beings aspire to praise you. Though we be but a particle of your creation, you awaken us the delight at praising you. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That's, that's page one of his desire, uh, of his diary that he's writing. But here we are, lacking contentment, and we're on to the next relationship, we're on to the next job, we're on to the next promotion. Or if you're like us, we're like, on to the next kid, okay, we've had you, we're going to go have some others now, you know, we'll move on. Good luck, we'll see you when you graduate. And so we, we see that this is actually the design of God, that's the catch, this is the design of God, that you will be restless. And you should be restless if you're trying to find your contentment in anything else but God and God Himself. So when you look to find contentment in the world or in your job, it's not going to be satisfying. It might be thrilling. It might be exhilarating to climb the corporate ladder. But you're not going to be satisfied. Or moms, you find your, your identity in staying home with all your kids. It's not going to be satisfying. And it's not intended to be. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. And you are created to be satisfied in Him and in Him alone. He is calling you to something greater. And He has made you to be satisfied only in Him. So, you restless heart. Wandering from one passion in the world to the next. Come to God. Come to God. This is the only way we will learn contentment in this world is to come to God. And when we do this, we are going to be able to do what Paul says here in verse 12. When he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So how do you relate? How do you relate to the things around us? How are we supposed to do that? Well, we're supposed to take them as they are. Inherently, they're passing. They're here one day and gone the next. Remember with, with Paul and how this church began in Philippi. He goes outside of the city, past the gate, down to the riverside, 
and beginning to pray, asking for God to show him some people that he might share the gospel with. And Lydia's right there. And this lady becomes the first convert in Philippi, and the first convert in, in all of Europe, actually. And there's one other thing. She's incredibly wealthy. So you can see how their church plants goes. You know, I, you know I, we would, we're hoping to start your church. Oh, Paul, anything you need. Anything, well, you can use our place. If this one's too small, we have this villa over here. Just come right over here. That'd be great. Anything you need, let me know. It's all yours. Mikasa es su casa, as they say in Philippi. So you see Paul in abundance and everything's well, but then you also see him when he's writing this letter. He's in prison. You have these prison letters that he's writing out. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, Philemon. And he's in prison for two, uh, two years, as you see in the end of Acts. But then he also goes back into prison as well when he's writing Second Timothy. And this man who has once had abundance, he had a fantastic religious life in Jerusalem. Things were going well. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was rising up in the ranks. But now he's in prison when he's writing Second Timothy and his friends have abandoned him. He's cold. He wants his cloak. He's bored. He wants his parchments and his writings. And gone are the days of abundance and, and having everything that you could ever want. And so he's actually living it out. And when he's saying that he knows how to be brought low and how to abound. And this idea here of being brought low, in the beginning here of verse 12, and it kind of has this external quality of being humiliated, of being looked at and treated with contempt from other people. He's going to be externally, he's going to be brought low or to be abounding. And it's... It's fascinating that Paul even has to mention this. But it does. It takes much more grace to keep yourself and to keep your heart in the midst of prosperity. But in every and any circumstance, Paul has it. And it should begin to start to become clear for us now that our contentment has nothing to do with the things of this world. And that's nothing. So whether it abounds and we have much or we have, whether it's, we have pittance and it, it doesn't matter. Our contentment has nothing to do with what's in the world, but rather everything to do with Christ and what we have in Him, which is abounding in everything. And so some of you, you have a lot of money left at the end of the month and others have a lot of months left at the end of your money. And you're both going to struggle with contentment. So long as it's predicated at all about the things of this world. Whether you're bound or you have little, you're going to struggle with contentment so long as you're fixated on the things of this world. So even with hunger, Paul is content. Not this external uh, humiliation that's being brought upon him, but this internal hunger, this, this basic desire that you think should be, should be fulfilled by others or by God. So then you, here you have it. Paul who is cold. He's humiliated. He's hunger. He's hungry and he's in need. And he's fully satisfied. Look at the response of the world. What would the world say about this? Well, the narrative of the world is going to be far different. They would look at someone who's in need and they would tell him, 
to rise up and to rebel. Put on your mask, grab your Molotov cocktail, or go tear down the systems and structures that have enslaved you. That's what the, the world is going to tell you. Or they're going to tell you what you think might be the opposite, is to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you work hard. Rather than tearing down buildings, you should be industrious and build buildings up. Rather than tearing down systems, you should be building systems up. And we think that these two things are the opposite. Until you compare them to the text of the Bible and what Paul is telling us. And you realize the world is telling you the same thing. Either through rebellion or through being industrial. If you're not... They're telling you to achieve it by your own hands. Either by stealing the ill-gotten gains of your neighbor and all of his wealth, you're trying to achieve it by your own hands, or by working hard, you're trying to achieve it your own hands. And by those, you will be content. The Bible has something to, that it calls this when you try to achieve something by your own hands to satisfy yourself. It calls it idolatry, actually. So what's the key to it all then? How is Paul able to abound and to have plenty and, and to be in abundance in everything or to be cold and brought low and to be hungry and to be in need, yet still be content? What's the key to it all? How does he do it? Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now such a verse can be quite liberating when we want to use it uh, to our own, our own means and our own end. I was actually living in China when I had this most dreadful realization. We were doing our best. We were living over there in southern China. Not for a long time, but living over there in southern China. Trying to serve the Lord. Trying to be faithful in all that we were doing. But then I had this horrific realization that all of my service was selfish. 100% of it. Sure, I love the Lord. Yes, I wanted the gospel to go out. But I was using God. I was using God as a tool to my own means, to my own ends. I was using God as a tool to, to be happy. I was using God as a tool to write support letters and Con, you know, correspondence with people back home. He was just a tool for my own selfish desires. And when we pull this verse, verse 13, out of its context, that's what, that's inherently what we're trying to do. So I, I can't quote this verse and apply it to my life and, you know, start playing football with Nick. It's just, just not gonna happen. It's not going to happen. I can't, I can't even, I can't dribble, hardly dribble a ball with my left hand. It's just not going to happen. I can write this verse under the bill of my hat. I go out there, I'm going to be made a fool of. It doesn't matter. But within the context, what is Paul saying here? You can do anything. All things through him who strengthens me. Well, what is all things? All things is pertaining to every situation that God might have put you in. So whether you have every trial, every temptation, every duty, every uh, fatigue, every bit of hunger, you say, yes, I can do this. 
I'm going to be content. I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Why are we able to do it? Okay, so you put it all out there and you say, okay, I'm going to trust you, Christ. I know I can do all things. I can be content in every situation through you who strengthened me. Why is it? Well, it's because in Christ you have everything. In Christ you have God himself. In Christ you have the one who has made everything. Through him all things were made, John writes. In Christ, you have heaven that has come down to earth. Which is why he calls everybody to repent for the kingdom of heaven has had. You, do you not see this? You have the riches of heaven that has come down to earth through Jesus Christ. Through him, then you have the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul also writes in Ephesians. Through him, you have been chosen before the foundation of the world. Through him, you have redemption. As John the Baptist proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Isaiah writes, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did not esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And even through Him, through Christ, we have this intimate love of God. As Peter writes, Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So when we have all of this in Christ, this is our proper response, is that we are content in whatever circumstance we might be in, we are fully content. Because we're not orientating our lives around the things of this world, rather we are being fully satisfied in Christ. And we're... Paul is basically doing here is repackaging the Sermon on the Mount and applying it through his life and then writing it to the church in Philippi. Matthew 6, Jesus is in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount and he tells him, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about the things of your life, the, the things of this world, Paul would say. What you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like any of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? A little little one of faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You might be asking yourselves, you go, okay, I'm, I'm tracking with you here. I'm going to be content because I'm not focused on the things of the world. I'm going to be, I'm going to have all of my riches from Christ. But isn't some lack of contentment actually a good thing to propel you forward, to move you forward? 
and to be honest, I've wrestled with this all week, and I, and I wanted, as one who's kind of wired to just go on to the next thing and on to the next thing, I just wanted to say yes to kind of give myself a cop-out so I didn't have to wrestle with it in my own heart. But then I realized how pathetic I was. That I actually, in moving, wanting to move on to the next thing, and on to the next thing, and on to the next thing, it was just this, it was displaying how much I was actually focused in and of the world. And that, no, I wasn't fully satisfied in Christ. That's why my mind is constantly straying and moving on to the next thing, and on to the next thing. And it's, it's an easier trap to fall into than we think. That we can actually be satisfied by the things of this world. It can't happen. It just cannot happen. As, as we were talking about earlier with the gospel. You were made for more. You are the pinnacle of all creation. And you are made for more. So if you. Kind of where I landed on this. If you have the desire to move forward. Well that's commendable and that's good. But check your heart. And just know that. You must be fully satisfied and richly satisfied in Christ before you take the first step. And again, it, it will be satisfied in Christ. He will not disappoint you. To the, to the degree that you come to Him and open up your arms and open up your heart, you will be satisfied. So contentment, remember, contentment is not being happy. With little in this world. That's not it. What Paul is driving to in the text. Is that contentment. Is delighting in the fact that you have everything. Everything. And rejoicing in the fact that you have everything in Christ. In Christ again you have the good shepherd who will not lose one of his sheep. In Christ you have the light of the world. In Christ you have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. In Christ you have the eternal love of the Father. In Christ you have clean hands and a pure heart. In Christ you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And we cry out to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And in Christ you have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So brothers and sisters, quit looking around in the world around us and seeking to be satisfied or seeking to be content with this world. It's not going to be happen. But come to Christ and turn to Him and realize once and for all that you have everything. You have everything in Christ and in Him you will behold the face of God in all of His glory. So rejoice that you have everything. In Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we wander so much in our hearts and in our minds and in our affections as we come to your table to feast upon you, your Son, and remember his finished work on the cross. God, let us be fully satisfied in him, for we know that you are fully satisfied in the work of your Son. Are we above you, God, that we would not be satisfied in Him? I cannot be, God. Give us hearts that are satisfied with you in this world. Amen.